Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. This is Eric Nemchuk here alongside Stephen Trinkwald. We are going to be doing a kind of a first month recap, a quick uh, first impressions of, of the WNBA season so far. Stephen, you want to kind of take the listeners through what we're going to be doing here? Yeah, sure. It's been a couple consecutive weeks of game recap. So we thought we'd do something a little bit different. Every team, for the most part, has played a decent number of games. We still have some uh, scheduling inconsistencies, but <laughs> thought uh, after kind of the first calendar month of play here, we just kind of check in with, with each of these teams, get some, some first thoughts, maybe uh, what we expect moving forward and touching on a player or two from, from each of these teams. That's exactly right. And of course, we did this once before, um, maybe a little amateurish, but uh, a little buzzer, a little alarm is going to go off after five minutes that will tell us it is time to move on. We're going to get five minutes for each team. So we will see how we do. Yeah, no promises um, we make it to the whole five minutes for some of these. No promises. Yeah, some of these uh, we might be tempted to go over. Some of these we might be kind of just stalling <laughs> at the end of five minutes, but we'll see how we do. So um, fun little exercise. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's start with the Atlanta Dream. Okay, we are starting with the Atlanta Dream. Cool. So they are four and two so far, winners of four straight. They're fourth in net rating, uh, positive 1.6 for them, sixth in offense, 100.4, sixth in defense, 98.8. A big win yesterday in New York after a big win in Chicago as well. Um, wh- where should we start with the Atlanta Dream? Well, I think the Dream right away they have they have an identity, you know, and that's that's a team that loves to blitz everything on defense. They want to create havoc on defense, create turnovers, get out of the open court. And if you look at their personnel, it makes sense, right? It's it's largely driven by athletic guards who thrive in the paint or in the mid range area. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they've got Tiffany Hayes back. And uh, she's been awesome. Yeah, and that blitzing defense, that aggressiveness on defense, I think is a good opportunity for maybe a mea culpa from uh, definitely myself, uh, maybe maybe you as well, in terms of what Monique Billings has been able to unlock for them oh, defensively. Yeah. You know, she, I think, has struggled in a different defensive scheme the, the past couple of years. Uh, I think she's really not made much of a defensive impact prior to this season. But the way this team is playing defensively, when they downsize, um, you know, Billings has been a huge part of that, not only showing an ability to defend out on the perimeter, um, wreaking some havoc in some of those blitzing, trapping schemes, um, but also she's made some plays at the rim, which I think has been a little bit surprising as well. Uh, you know, the offense is still kind of inconsistent at times, uh, you know, still li- living from the mid-range largely, um, but defensively, I mean, it, it's been more than we had seen in previous seasons. You know, kudos to interim coach Mike Peterson for this. You know, as a coach, you want to put your players in the best possible position for them to succeed. And for Billings, I mean, she's one of the best athletes in the league for all her shortcomings on offense. She's one of the best athletes in the league. So you want her in a position to be able to move around and make plays. And that's what she's done. You've seen several times already. They've kind of uh, gone to Billings to the five and Crystal Bradford at the four with these small lineups. And they've been able to sustain their defensive pressure and create these turnovers to get their their backward athletes out running. So it's, it's kind of unorthodox, but it's been working so far. Yeah. And Bradford is not a player who I was super familiar with coming into the year. I don't even think we really touched on her at all during our Atlanta dream season outlook or season preview or whatever. Uh, And she's been awesome. You know, she's giving you a little bit of um, stretch offensively, you know, knocking down a few threes Uh, and obviously, you know, her defensive length and and athleticism has um, been, uh, Surprising, I think, and a big contribution to this team while their starting front court pairing uh, uh, has 
struggled together. You know, the Elizabeth Williams, Tiana Hawkins combo has not done great um, while they're together. I think Elizabeth Williams uh, on, on Saturday against the Liberty had her best game of the season, in my opinion, but Hawkins is still, you know, struggling to come around a little bit. So to get that contribution from Bradford has been um, a nice surprise. Yeah, Hawkins, I'm not so sure about. You know, I think we both like the signing as a big who can stretch the floor, but she hasn't really contributed a lot. Um, the offense, she's not really contributing much to the offense, rather, as as we kind of expected. Um, and it's kind of forced a team maybe to go. I don't know. I don't know if it's done out of necessity or not. But what I'm curious about now is Cheyenne Parker, who uh, was diagnosed with COVID, I, I believe, should be cleared shortly to play. Are they going to continue with this? Because you got to think they're going to give Cheyenne Parker, once she gets her conditioning back, up to speed and get her a lot of minutes. Um, they actually just waived Kalani Brown. So for a team that doesn't already have a lot of front court depth, it kind of, you know, when with Shakina Strickland kind of not able to stay on the floor, as uh, unfortunately, wh- where do they go from here? You know, are, do they stick with this small ball lineup stuff or are they able to continue it with Parker rather? Well, you, you're obviously very familiar with Cheyenne's game. Like, how do you see her fitting in with what they've been doing defensively? Um, you know, if she replaces maybe, uh, maybe she doesn't play with Elizabeth Williams a ton, but just kind yeah. of takes Hawkins minutes and a little bit of Bradford's minutes, you know, does she have the, the foot speed and uh, uh, I guess the perimeter defensive chops to, to hang in this scheme? Or are they going to have to kind of adapt to her a little bit more? Um, I think they're going to have to adapt to her. I'm not saying she can't. I don't think she's at Monique Billings' level of, of, of perimeter movement, but she's also going to be better than Hawkins, and she's going to be able to recover quicker and just make more plays defensively. So I think the, the overall talent increase will be more than enough to offset whatever schematics they need to change. Um, I'm just interested to see. I'm just interested to see rather what happens now when their schedule gets a little tougher. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing them playing Seattle, Vegas. Connecticut, you know, they played Connecticut opening day and they got bashed. So, uh, impressive start, but we'll see uh, if they can sustain it. Oh, okay. Wow. That was perfect. Yeah, immaculate. Okay. Uh, all right, let's move on to um, the Chicago, Chicago Sky. Sky. I think have been a little bit disappointing so far. Two and three so far this season. They're ninth in net rating at negative 2.3. Um, a positive surprise. They're first in defense so far, 93.1, <laughs> but 11th in offense at 90.8. Uh, Eric, this is a team that you are very familiar with. What's going on with the offense? Well, as we all expected, they're a great defensive team and a horrid offensive team, right? Um, I think, you know, the first, my first instinct will be to say, well, they're missing a lot of pieces. You know, Quigley and Parker have both been out since the first game of the season. Dolson has been missing since the first game of the season because she's participating in the, uh, Team USA three by three or three on three, which uh, they they recently qualified for. So go USA. Um, so you're missing basically your best three point shooter, uh, your best playmaking big. Actually, your your two best playmaking bigs, um, your best screening big, and that that's a that's a problem. You know, um, the one thing about Chicago that's been really disappointing with their offense is they are horrible against any type of ball pressure. Um, of course, you know, the rookie Shiley Hill has been the prime example. She can like barely even get the ball up the court, which has been pretty disappointing. But whenever you're averaging, whenever you're like turning the ball over 25, 26, 27 turnovers a game, um, it's not one player's fault. You know, th- this team has been very susceptible to getting the passing lanes jumped. Um, they get sped up really easily. I feel like they kind of lose their composure on offense. Vandersloot has been off to a slow start too, which has been disappointing. Um, I-, I think, you know, if you look at the front court, 
Stu and Du and Ruthie Hebert have been acceptable, you know, for, for what they are, but they don't exactly create many advantages on either end of the court. You know, they're, neither of them are, are going to be making a lot of plays, passing the ball. Um, Stu and Du, she's got the three-point shot, but everywhere else, you know, they're just kind of – you look at the game against New York, against Atlanta, against Los Angeles recently, all teams that want to speed the pace up on defense, um, and Chicago struggled. Yeah, dead last in turnover percentage so far this year. And you mentioned Hebert and Astu do fall um, being, you know, they, they have their strengths and weaknesses. Chicago and Atlanta, actually, the first two teams we are, we're talking about alphabetically here are actually the two teams in the league that are both in the top four in offensive rebounding and in the bottom four in defensive rebounding. Uh, and I think, you know, missing Candace Parker, obviously, is a huge piece of that. Missing Steph Dolson is a huge piece of that. And, you know, Azra Stevens has been integrated back into the lineup, but obviously a, a very rigid minutes restriction so far this season. I'm not sure if she's cracked over 15 minutes so far, and she's probably, you know, their best, or I'm sorry, their second best three-point shooter just for, at any position, and then you're missing Quigley as well. So for this team to be um, 11th in half-court offense and 11th in two-point shooting overall, you know, you're really kind of seeing a, a cramped uh, – offense you know in terms of the spacing and kind of what what teams are willing to give up and that results in this team making a, a pretty decent amount of their threes but you know not enough to make up for such poor two-point shooting so I guess my question is like how how does this offense improve uh where where does I guess the improvement come from aside from you know hopefully getting uh you know, your backup point guard to be able to make it across half court but in terms of like you know the starters and like players that we expect to be playoff rotation players for this team like what what does the improvement look like for them I think right now if, if I'm looking at this guy in, in, in a half court they're just having trouble de generating decent looks um you've got a couple dribble penetrators in Diamond De Shields and Kalia Copper and the Shields uh by the way looks looks healthy again you know hallelujah and Copper has been playing pretty well but it, it just seems like everything is such a struggle even if they're even if they're able to get up get into their half court offense get into their sets it's they're not able to really manufacture open looks at the rim. It's all either, you know, you know, either post-ups or, you know, dribble drive or, or mid-range jumpers. It's none of them are really quality looks. And when you don't have any good three-point shooters on the floor, that's going to happen. I just think they need to set, you know, better screens. I think Hebert and uh, Dufal need to do a better job of screening both on and off the basketball to maybe, you know, get a little misdirection going, maybe some back screens um, for DeShields or Copper, who's a, a really good baseline cutter to get some good looks at the rim there. But, you know, aside from their Parker and, and Dolson, when you have no bigs who can really make plays or make passes, that really limits what you can do offensively. And this guy, two of the best in the league at doing that, and Parker and Dolson, and they're both out. You know, like, I don't want to blame, as a Sky fan, I don't want to blame injuries or absences for this struggle. Chicago is better than what they've shown so far. But until those players return, I think you just need, <laughs> they just need to do a better job of moving out the basketball and setting each other up. Well, no, before we run out of time, uh, when Dolson should be back soon, whose minutes will she be kind of mostly uh, taking over? Okay, we're out of time, but I will answer that question. Um, whose minutes Dolson will be taking over? I think uh, a mix of Dufal and Hebert. You know, Hebert, I think she's limited in what she can do on offense. She's mainly just going to be rolling to the hoop every time and finishing at the room, which is good. But, you know, she does. she's not really going to create anything outside of the painted area. So... And I think Dufal has a little bit more versatility on both ends of the floor, and she's got more experience. So if James Wade is really trying to win a championship this year, he's really trying to win now, 
um, I think he's going to go with the vet. All right, ready to start the timer for the Connecticut Sun. Let's do it. Okay, six and one so far this year. Their one loss, uh, probably the best game of the season, an overtime thriller against the Seattle Storm. Uh, Connecticut is second in net rating at positive 12.2. And, you know, this early in the season, one game of garbage time or one blowout is really going to skew some of these numbers as we'll get to with some other teams. Um, But second in offense at 107, third in defense at 94.8. We checked in with them last week and when we did a game recap with Phoenix and we talked about, you know, what had really been carrying this team was some historic offensive rebounding and probably some unsustainable shooting from just about everybody on their team. (laughs) Um, They're still number one in the league at in offensive rebounding. They've dropped from about 44%, which is, you know, higher than any team in league history, essentially to a still very, very good 38%. And that's like a sustainable number. If they finish around 38%, that wouldn't be, you know, earth shattering. It's still really good and would still lead the league, I think, in most seasons, but it's like an actual, like, attainable number where, like, 44%, like, that just never was going to happen. You know what I mean? Um, the shooting is still really, really hot. I, I think it's, you know, I don't think you're being a pessimist or, or cynical to expect some uh, three point regression when, you know, John Quill Jones, Dewana Bonner, and Jasmine Thomas are combining for 48% from behind the arc on 87 combined attempts. Um, I think, you know, the biggest regression, in my opinion, should come from Bonner, who, you know, we, I, I like those shots from Bonner sometimes, uh, probably more off, like more than, than other WNBA observers do for Bonner. I think it opens up other elements of her game, you know, but she's a career 29% shooter before this season. So to expect her to continue hitting 50% probably just isn't realistic, uh, you know, or even for her to finish the season 45%. But, you know, it is a 32 game season. So, it's not like you have, you know, 700 attempts over the course of a season that, that's going to regress. Mm-hmm. Um, but so despite John Quill's dominance and, and Bonner's, uh, you know, she has the highest free throw rate of her career since 2016. So, you know, five or six years now, the Sun are still a bottom five team in getting to the line, which I think that will probably, as the three-point shooting regresses, that'll probably regress in, the, in a positive direction, them getting to the line, you know, Bree Jones, hasn't really been getting there, and, and she was pretty good at getting to the line last year. Um, but before I just kind of carry on with this soliloquy, I guess, was there any sort of uh, topics specifically that you wanted to touch on with the Sun? Um, I just wanted to, you know, give them kudos for really establishing their identity. And that's the wording I'm, I'm going to be using a lot here in this little show uh, is identity. The Sun, we know what they want to do. They want to play really, really slow, beat the stuffing out of their opponents on the boards, and just impose their their size and their defense on on the opposing team. And that, for the most part, I mean, they've done that in every single game. It's been really impressive to see what they've done. Really with, I don't want to say, I'm not going to say no offensive talent because there are some talented offensive players on this team, but um, limited in the half court, you know? So let me ask you a question. Yeah. When we get to the end of the season here, and I think at some point, maybe during the Olympic break, we're, we're going to dive into this, but like who John Quo Jones is as a player and kind of where the other players in this league, the great players have been this season. Like, where do you think like the absolute apex of John Quill in terms of her standing in the league, like she could finish this season being a top X player? Well, right now I've got her as my MVP. 
Um, I don't think that's a, that's a hot take or anything like there are, there are a few candidates for MVP, but I think John Qual is the MVP leader right now. Um, like right now, I don't think you can say she's any lower than a top five player. So like, depending on how things go, I, she could easily be like a top three player. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I was kind of thinking, you know, if I, I consider Stewart the best player in the league, I think, you know, it's, it's easy to forget how good Elena Deladon was because it's been two years essentially. So I, wow. I kind of consider those two players, you know, with their offensive, like undeniability with Stewart as good as she is on both ends to be the top two players in the league. But if we kind of get either a diminished version of Elena Deladon or we just don't see her return this year, you know, I think at the end of the season, if John Quo Jones is considered the second best player in the league in terms, like when you think about her, her versatility offensively, and obviously she's a dominant defensive player as well. Like it's a really high ceiling, but I I see it in the realm of possibilities, even if it's not you know super likely. You have eight seconds. Uh, Kyla Charles has been bad. Okay, all right, Kyla Charles and uh, okay, wait for the buzzer. Okay, we are moving on to the Dallas Wings. Let's go. Dallas, one in four so far this season with some really tough losses. You know, I think they're better than a one in four team, if I can just throw some conjecture in here. They're seventh in net rating, negative 0.8. They're the third best offense in the league so far, 105.9, but they are 11th in defense, 106.7. Where should we start with the Dallas Wings, a team that I'm sure we both have a lot to say about? We have a lot to say about five minutes might not be enough here, but Dallas, you know, there are a lot of question marks about this team heading into the season with all the, uh, all the minutes competitions they have. Maybe I don't want to call it a log jam, but it's, sometimes you could say it is a log jam. I think at several positions. Um, a lot of those questions haven't really been answered. In fact, I think some of the questions with the rotation have gotten worse. Yeah. Let me get into it here. So, I mean, this is just one example last night against, Phoenix, a tough loss, four-point loss at home for Dallas. Christina Nigue, a player who, you know, when they get Alicia Gray and Satu Sabali back in just a couple of days, you know, might be cut from this team, quite frankly. 23 minutes for Anigwe last night. You know, it, it would appear Dallas felt that Anigwe gave them the best option to guard Brittany Griner, who went 27 points on 17 shooting possessions. So, you know, maybe playing your rotation based on the best player to guard Brittany Griner was not the best kind of process to Mm -hmm. uh, how that lineup shook out Uh, 17 minutes for Izzy Harrison. uh, While the number one overall pick Charlie Collier played less than 14 minutes, number two overall pick a walk queer played less than a minute and a half. And we got a DNP for the number five pick of last season, Bella Allery. So some players that are just really like not, going to be big parts of this team two or three years from now um, playing over players that this team obviously invested a lot of valuable draft picks in and the result is still losing games against teams that are, are kind of beatable teams so like if you're not going to win these games you know what I mean like you're getting yeah. the worst of both worlds not really it, it doesn't make sense to me you know the uh, the other position battle I was I was alluding to was uh, Ty Harris versus Mariah Jefferson at point guard, and that has been a struggle, but that's an expected one because Jefferson's a tenured player with a lot of guaranteed money, so you expect her to to kind of be encroaching on Harris's minutes. But when you're playing a Nigue who is signed with a hardship exception over these three front court players who 
invested top five picks in the past two seasons. What kind of a process is that? That's it's just it's just doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm sure that this rotation is going to like look more sensible, right? When you have two of your three best players back, I don't think there's there's really any doubt that Satu Sabali and Alicia Gray are are th- two of this team's three best players, right? Uh, at least at this point. And even you know just if you look at the Awak queer part of it, like she she just got here, right? And she was really lost in her first minutes. I thought in in her kind of first game. She's 19 years old. She's, she's, she's going to take on that. Yeah. She, she literally got, you know, she started practicing, I think, two days before that first game or something like that. So that's expected. But to see the rest of the front court rotation and how that's shaking out is just like you're, you're not investing in the development and you are not coming away with really positive. Like you're relying on veterans who have never helped this team win and, and have not really ever been part of kind of uh, – winning cultures winning organizations while also not getting the development from the players that you drafted really high really recently um so i think that's been frustrating for for uh non-dallas fans and dallas fans alike uh with regards to you know the point guard rotation i do think kind of once this team gets their players back like it's it's going to come down to one of ty harris in mo jefferson long term in this rotation like i don't think once you know, because right now they're playing kind of two point guards with uh, with Jefferson and Harris out there with Marina Mabry and then uh, Arike Gumbawale at the three. I imagine, and I think Vicky Johnson has alluded to this, like the positions will kind of get a little bit more normalized. So we'll right. probably only see one of those players on a regular basis once everyone comes back. And Marina Mabry, if there's one player I want to shout out, she's the one. I mean, she's she's been incredible. 68.6 true shooting percentage so far with some incredible shot making. Yeah, that's um, insane. Fifty yeah. percent on threes, on over three, uh, eight threes per thirty-six minutes, and she's hitting over fifty-four percent of her twos on pretty similar volume. Like she's not getting to the rim a ton, but she's without getting to the rim a lot, like as close to a kind of a three-level scorer because she's hitting so much of her mid-ranges and and her three-point shooting, like from anywhere essentially. But but we can move on. <laughs> okay, moving on to Indiana. Yay! Ah, uh, man. Whew. One and six for the Indiana Fever. They are 11th in net rating at negative 13.4. They are ninth in offense, which is not terrible, uh, (laughs) 94.2. And they are once again, uh, at least so far, the worst defense in the league, 107.6. Speaking of teams that aren't playing their young players enough. Yeah, what what is going on here? Um, I mean, Lauren Cox was injured to start the season. But they invested in Kaiser Gondrzyk, um, reached for Kaiser Gondrzyk in the draft. She's been, you know, on and off the court, quite literally. Uh, I, I don't know what to. I don't know how to start here. Yeah, well, let's start there. Only eleven minutes per game so far for Kaiser Gondrzyk, compared to twenty-seven for D. Rob, twenty-three for Tiffany Mitchell, and eleven for Lindsay Allen. Um, I mean, the. So I guess we we can start with a little bit of what we've seen from Gondrzik so far. Like I think your okay. concern preseason, like around draft time, of her of Gondrzik kind of getting swallowed up by WNBA size has come true so far in in the early part of her career. You know she's 0 for three in the restricted area and 0 for two in the half court on on two kind of no chancers against you know rim protectors right there. And it's definitely like too early to make any kind of sweeping proclamations. I think on. Gondrzik and it's nice that she's been able to get the three falling early but you know just three of 11 on twos 
without a trip to the line so far. Like, I think, you know, that has kind of bared itself out. But, I mean, these other players, like, just like Dallas, like, they're not contributing to winning. Like, why, why is Gondrzyk kind of getting glued to the bench and getting five minutes a half? Behind Lindsey Allen. No, I mean, that's uh, not really much of a ceiling there. Um, they've been playing Jessica Breland a lot in the front court. And I think she's had a couple of good games, but again, offensively, just really not not contributing a ton. Um, Tierra McCowan has been Tierra McCowan. You know, I don't think there's anything. Maybe she's been a little better than last year, but I don't know, man. Well, with, with McCowan on the court, the defense is just kind of regular, very bad. And then when she sits, they okay. are like comically very bad. So I, I think that's more just like the, the other players are like John Tell Lavender, for example, I think has really struggled defensively, which isn't, you know, no surprise. She hasn't played in close to two years, but um, I think no surprise that the investments that they made this off season are not really like you, you brought in these veterans to shore up the defense and then you're last in defense and all of your <laughs> players that you invested in are like the defense is worse when they're out there. So well, like, like what I want to say about that is, you know, they're still playing pretty slow. They're, they're ninth in pace. Their defense has obviously been terrible. They're last in defense. And their ball movement is still poor. They're 10th in both assist percentage and turnover percentage. So what, what is this team, like, actually supposed to be good at besides rebounding? You're not going to win a championship when your only strength is rebounding. Um, one thing I wanted to point out in particular, um, Kelsey Mitchell's been shooting it not that well. Um, 46% effective field goal percentage. I think that's going to regress positively because, you know, she's just a better shooter than that. But what other perimeter players do they have who are actually creating shots? You know, like Tiffany Mitchell can get to the rim, but not that efficient. Victoria Vivians hasn't really made much of an impact so far. I don't know. I don't know if she's healthy, you know, honestly. Um, what, what other perimeter players are they looking to to create offense here? Yeah, you know, they're ninth in offense right now. I think they finished last season ninth in offense as well. Um so, you know, just kind of the raw standings of, of how they are relative to the league is about the same. But this team really misses Julie Aleman and kind of yeah. her, her three-point shooting, uh, her passing, pretty much everything that she brings as an offensive player. And, you know, we talked before about how D-Rob is just kind of like the anti-Julie um, Aleman in terms of like what she is good at, you know, kind of getting to the rim, uh, defending the point of attack, uh, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, the, the ball just sticks a lot more when you don't have a Julie Aleman type and, and you don't really have, I guess, other kind of like natural ball movers. Uh, and I think we should talk a, a little bit about Lauren Cox, just mention her briefly. You yeah, know, okay. she's, she's played 35 minutes in three games and she has yet to score a point uh, this season, 11% usage so far. Uh, and only 11 of her 35 minutes have been with Tierra McCowan. So, you know, obviously she's, she's working her way back. I don't think, you know, I'm certainly not ready to like write her off or anything, but um, like to see a little bit more of her minutes paired up with McCowan. And, you know, she just has to be a little bit more aggressive and kind of uh, finishing plays when that opportunity presents itself. And then kind of even searching for her own offense if they ever get like a mismatch. Hey, okay, we did it. <laughs> okay, moving on to the Las Vegas Aces. Okay, Las Vegas is four and two. Uh, they are first in net rating at 13.2. They're first in offense at 107.8. And they're second in defense in not at 94.6. Uh, they are back to being the number one team in transition frequency, which I think is definitely going to be a plus for this team. Um, where did you want to start with the Aces? Well, um, 
once again, they're, they're best in taking care of the basketball turnover percentage. They are the best at not allowing opponents to get to the free throw line. And they're second best in uh, free throw rate, uh, like their own free throw frequency. So once again, good recipe for winning, right? Except this year, I mean, it's like they have no depth at all, especially with Kelsey Plum participating in the three versus three uh, qualifiers, but they are still killing it. Yeah, they're, I think they're getting as much production as you could possibly get from the stars on this team. You know, Asia Wilson is having her best career season and that's coming off an MVP. You know, her efficiency has never been higher. Her two point scoring has never been higher. Uh, we still haven't seen her take a, a second three of the season after her first attempt of the year was from behind the arc and, and she made it, of course. Um, but, you know, she has been great. We've seen kind of limited minutes from Cambage, but she's been effective when she's been out there, at least offensively. And then I think, you know, the two standouts in terms of kind of getting more than you might expect from their performance have been Jackie Young and Chelsea Gray. Wh- which one of those do you want to start with? Well, let's start with Young. Uh, she has really gone, gone all in on this tanky guard sort of type of game. Um, you know, she's going to get to the rim and and put people in the weight room, as you like to say, but that pull-up two-point jump shot is looking really good. It's, it's not a shot that either of us like, you know, in, in, in like big picture stuff. But, I mean, that's her game for this team, and she's playing with a lot of confidence right now. Yeah, I mean, if you can hit 50% of them like Jackie Young has, yeah, it's, a great it's, shot, yeah. it's a good shot. You know what I mean? 45% to 50%, you know, there's a big difference there when you're talking about mid-range twos. But, um, you know, the one, I guess, and Jackie Young has been great. You know, she's been getting to the line five and a half free throw attempts per 36 minutes like i just mentioned 50 percent of her twos so far um but the playmaking does kind of continue to drop year over year like at this point she's really just kind of a play finisher which i suppose can be expected a little bit with you know chelsea gray there but i thought with kelsey plum missing time you know angel mccautry obviously not there anymore like you would yeah. see a little bit more of jackie you know point jackie uh you know like we saw in year one but not really the case. And, you know, the aces aren't really any worse off for it. So it's not a criticism. It's just something I kind of expected that hasn't really materialized. Um, Mm -hmm. But while we still have time, let's talk about Chelsea Gray, who, I mean, this is like her best season since her first year as a full-time starter. Yeah. So far 45% from three. Yeah. I think we can expect that to regress a little bit, almost 58% from two by far career high. She's 52% on non-paint twos, 63% in the non-paint, I'm sorry, in the non-restricted area part of the paint. Um, anything that I, I have one more thing I want to say on, on Gray, um, but if you had anything to add, please, I know we're time limited. No, we, we still got a little bit of time. Um, Gray's been awesome. You know, she's been better than expected for me, actually, after the first game when she kind of struggled against Seattle. She just looks like she's playing really freely. Um, it looks like the pace of the game is is just to her liking. And of course, having two bigs who catch every, catch and finish everything is, is pretty good. But she really... Um, it's it's obvious what she brings to this team that it was lacking before, right? And that is a elite playmaker. Yeah, her passing has been uh, amazing, and and her assist numbers are are at an all time high. Mm-hmm. But I think the one thing that's different from her within her own offense is like with the size that this team has everywhere else, you know, you have to guard Chelsea Gray with a guard now instead of throwing your small forward on Chelsea Gray. You know, because either one of Jackie Young or Chelsea Gray is just absolutely going to put a guard in the weight room, like put them in the goal. And even if Gray isn't getting all the way to the restricted area, she's so strong that she's going to cause separation from that, you know, five to 10 feet range. If you're guarding her with a shooting guard or a point guard 
sized player. And I think that's been a real difference maker in terms of what, how she's been able to be so much more efficient in that area where, you know, LA just didn't have that other size or um, yeah, I guess, you know, perimeter size the last few years. That's a good point. Yeah. Most, most smaller defenders are just going to bounce right off of her. How are we doing on time? 20 seconds. All right. We can just move on. Okay. Move on. Um, okay. We are starting with Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know if we're going to make it to five minutes with this team. Uh, <laughs> okay. Only because, you know, they've only played three games, right? Mostly yeah. they've played six. So they are one and two so far. They are 12th in net rating at negative 15. Uh, not 1.5. That's negative 15. They are 12th in offense at 83.4. And they are fifth in defense at 98.4. So they're fifth in defense and still 12th in net rating. So just conceptualize like how poor of an offense they've been relative to league average to be last in net rating and have it uh, be fifth in defense. So um, just really, I don't want to hammer that home because it's insane when you... It's bad, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is the only team as we're recording that hasn't played their fourth game yet. And I think this team more than any other team, like their numbers are kind of extremely skewed, obviously by um, small sample size. And I think every team, I mean, every game this team has played so far has been a blowout, you know, two blowout losses. And what, what did, was it like a, a large uh, win against Chicago or did they for all of, intents and purposes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we've obviously like yet to see this team just kind of play a normal WNBA schedule. Like they haven't played two games in a week so far. Um, so they had a 79 offensive rating through their first two games, did post a 92 offensive rating against Chicago, which still isn't great, but it improved their uh, offensive rating enough to get into the 80s at least. Um, they are generating a ton of turnovers defensively, 27% opposing turnover rate and 12% steal rate, which are two insane numbers. Um, what, what else about this team has kind of jumped out to you so far? Well, how are you generating so many turnovers and getting so many steals and you're still so bad on offense? That's, that's what I want to know. You know, that, that first game against Dallas, I thought was pretty funny. Was it Dallas turned the ball over like 26 times, but won by 23 points, I think. Where, how many times have you seen that? That's, that's weird. Yeah, and to just not really be an effective um, transition offense. And the other side of that is they are allowing opponents to get out in transition over 23% of opponents possessions. Um, they're getting out in the half court. So, you know, this team is 12th in effective field goal percentage, 12th in free throw attempt rate. And when their opponents do get out in transition, they're allowing a league worst 1.2 points per possession. So the transition defense and the offense that has led to the transition defense has just been an absolute nightmare. Um, the one thing I, that just stood out to me about the Sparks, at least in their first couple games um, they were playing too fast. I think, you, you, you know, they want to play fast. They want to play ag aggressively. They want to, you know, play early in the shot clock, but it, it's, it seems like their first two games, it was just like screen, screen, jump shot, screen, screen, jump shot. Every, they're, they're hunting the first available open jump shot. And that, you know, and it wasn't like they're hunting the first open three, you know, it was just like screen, screen, jump shot. So when you have Neka Gumake on your team, you want to get her the ball in the paint and at the rim, she's still an effective, she's still a very effective offensive player. Um, I and she's been this team's best player through three yeah, games. Undoubtedly. Yeah, she's been the, no surprise there. I don't think. Um, but outside of Neka Gumake, no other spark has really put in a big time performance yet. Yeah, and one troubling trend for this team: Christy Tolliver is ninth on this team in total field goal attempts, and yeah. tenth on this team in, in usage. And again, th so much of this team's season has been in garbage time. But even on like a per minute basis. 
I don't know if this team is going to be able to get by with Christy Tolliver taking seven field goal attempts per 36 minutes. And she's been effective when she shot it. Like I think her true shooting percentage is, you know, in the six or seven hundreds, but seven field goal attempts per 36 minutes just isn't going to cut it. She's going what to- is her role on this team? I don't understand. Yeah, I, I have a hard time answering that question because it seems nearly non-existent. And honestly, that's another thing. I, that's another point I want to make about this team. It's just everything is so egalitarian and it doesn't need to be that way. You know, you want crazy idea. You play your best players more minutes. You give your best players more shots. You don't need to be playing everybody 15 minutes a game. You don't need to have everybody taking eight shots a game. You know, it's not, that's not how you play. Some players are better than others. That's, that's just how it goes. Chrissy Tolliver needs to shoot the ball more. Um, I think Amanda Zellie for as much criticism as we give her on this podcast, she is going to open up some, some things for them offensively. Yeah, she's going to help offensively. There's yeah. No. But I just got to wonder, what is this team ceiling? Well, I can tell you what their floor is, and I think they're going to hit it, and I think they're going to be a lottery team. Okay. All right. I, I mean, you know, they've had a week off in between, like in between their first and second game, and they still got absolutely blitzed. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I guess, you know, the, the second game, the game today against Chicago, I think is, uh, you know, for as much as a single game, the fourth game in the season can be telling, uh, you know, playing the same team so, uh, so close to the first time you played them and, um, you know, having just kind of a normal WNBA schedule for the first time, I, I think, you know, Chicago has been disappointing. So we'll kind of see what, what yeah, happens. no travel adequate, you know, time to make adjustments, same team. So good measuring stick. Okay. Moving on to Minnesota, Minnesota, they are Oh, in four going into tonight's matchup against Connecticut. Yes. Yeah. Not great. They're 10th in net rating at negative 10.6. They are 10th in offense at 90.9 and ninth in defense at 101.5. Uh, one thing that I've seen um, in just about every, section that we've done so far is team identity uh Mm -hmm. for you eric what what is the identity of this team what are they good at i was gonna ask you the same thing um they're really good at having sylvia fouls on their team but other than that i'm not sure because like in previous years the links they're all about defense and all about rebounding and it was a winning formula even in the latter half of 2020 when they switched to that small ball stuff they're very very clearly a team that wanted to play small and wanted to get up a ton of threes now it's like they're trying starting lineups with no point guard if that's not a, t- a sign of a team like struggling for an identity, I don't know what is. Yeah, like I mentioned, 10th in offense so far. Um, Kayla McBride, I, I don't think has been, you know, the biggest struggle on this team. I think that's that definitely goes to Ariel Powers. And I think this team will see their offense improve with Powers not available to, you know, be so bad at point guard. Uh, and I don't think Powers is a bad player. She's just playing and she was playing in a role that right. Isn't, right, right. isn't her role. You know what I mean? Um, but one nice thing to see is Kayla McBride, her career high in three-point attempt rate so far. The, you know, the shot hasn't quite been falling. She's just 33% behind the line for a career 37% shooter. But, you know, also a career low in usage for Kayla McBride. This is something that we thought, you know, th- this team is really going to emphasize her a little bit more than her last role. And, I, you know, I think some of that is just, you know, some good defense. You know, she's played... Uh, Jewel Lloyd a couple times and, and Lloyd I think has done a really good job off the ball just kind of denying Kayla McBride but a really low assist rate career low for McBride as well uh, and a lot of that usage is going to Sylvia Fowles who so far has not seen a minutes reduction 28 mm-hmm. points uh, I'm sorry 28 minutes per game and at least 30 minutes in their first three games so um, she's posted the highest usage of her career so far at 27 percent while still you know 
typical Sylvia Files efficiency, 602 true shooting, uh, still massively effective from the field. Really, the only thing stopping her from being higher in, in true shooting is, you know, she's only hit half of her free throws so far, which is uh, abnormally low for Files. You know, she's not a 50% career free throw shooter by any means. Um, and overall, you know, despite Files' individual efficiency, this offense has just really struggled whenever Crystal Dangerfield has been off the court. And, you know, big surprise, right? They have one point guard. Yeah. And when that point guard doesn't play, they have a 78.8 offensive rating with Dangerfield on the bench. It's just, they just don't have enough playmaking. And I think that's part of why McBride hasn't been as impactful, not to make excuses for her or anything, but Kayla McBride is very much an off ball player. She's not a player who's going to be creating shots for others. She's going to be, you know, moving around those screens, moving without the ball if there's nobody to pass her the ball, well, I mean, that's, that's a problem. And that's aside from Dangerfield, who is creating shots for other players on this team? It's like, they just dump it into fouls, which I mean, yeah, that's, you, you want to do that. But if that's taken away, it's, it's a struggle. Yeah. And this team overall 12th in three point percentage. So they're just not making their threes and, and not really taking a ton of them either eighth in three point attempt rate, but not a single player on this team is over 35% from three. And, that's, you know, some pretty good three-point shooters. Demiris Dantas specifically has been struggling from the field. Five for 21 from three, five for 13 from two. Um, they are, as a whole, you know, number one in percentage of points coming from the paint, which makes sense because Falls is really the only one, like, having an impactful offensive season for them so far. Um, but I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about kind of what this starting lineup should look like now that, you know, it's clear that, the not Dangerfield starting at point guard is not going to work, right? So you pencil in Dangerfield, you pencil in McBride, you pencil in Collier and Sylvia Fowles as four of your five starters. Who should that last spot go to? Even let's say with Powers healthy. Um, Cause I think it's time to, to get Dantas out of there, who a player that I like, one of my favorite players in the league and put Carlton in the starting five. Why, why Carlton? Well, she, you know, she gives you, she's more perimeter based, which moves Collier to the four. I think, that's Collier's best position. You know, when, when all three of these players, Collier, Dantas, Falls, have been together, Collier's played a lot of three, but she's a four, I think. And her best defensive position at the, is at the four. You know, Collier, uh, I'm sorry, Carlton is not as big of a defensive liability as Dantas, uh, who, as we've seen, when Dantas is in the game, like teams are hunting her in pick and roll defense uh, or on pick and roll to have her in defense, I should say. You know, um, Carlton, I think, is an adequate defensive player. She's a low usage player, which frankly, I think this team needs a little bit. Obviously they're both good shooters, uh, but I think it just makes more sense from a lineup perspective. All right. We'll see where New, uh, Minnesota goes. Now that they have Nafisa Callier back moving on to New York. The Liberty are five in two. They are fifth in net rating at 1.2 seventh in offense at 99.2 and fourth in defense at 98.0. So a better defense than offense. Uh, I don't think that's kind of how you would characterize this team, you know, mm. just kind of uh, understanding the roles and, you know, being number one in three-point percentage, number one in three-point attempt rate, stuff like that. But the offense has been not outstanding, I think, which makes sense when you consider some of the lineup combinations this team has been playing. You know, I, I think the one thing about New York, they're fun for sure. And this is a team that does have a clear identity. They want to play fast, get up a ton of threes. Same thing as last year, but they're actually doing it with legit WNBA players. Um, but their schedule has been a little soft thus far. So I really want to see how they play against, you know, like Connecticut and, and Las Vegas, because the first two games against Indiana, well, maybe just the first game, but 
Terry McCowan did major damage to them. And now that Natasha Howard is unfortunately injured again, um, that's a major weakness. Yeah, I'm expecting this team to come back to earth a little bit uh, without Howard. You know, they just don't have, um, you know, I, I think Kylie Shook has been a little bit better than I expected. You know, she has some pretty good mobility defensively. Um, she can hit the occasional three, but her scoring from two is just not what you need out of a WNBA center. Kia Stokes, you know, the just the raw efficiency is there, but, you know, she's just not she's not a good enough offensive player right and no. she's a little bit too traditional in terms of you know she wants to play way off as we saw in that cl- the closing seconds of that Atlanta game where she gave Courtney Williams about um 100 feet to take that pull-up jump shot and Courtney Williams easily buried it so without Howard you know they were able to kind of beat some bad teams early on and some teams that were really struggling to find themselves like Minnesota uh early on but I think you know this team's Gonna turn into a pumpkin pretty soon, I think. Okay, well let's let's point out their strengths at least. Um, turns out Sabrina Ionescu is indeed good, and but Nigelani was not a one-year wonder. She is rightfully being listed among the MVP candidates so far. Yeah, she's been awesome, right? I mean, I think yesterday uh, her the game against the Dream was maybe her worst game of the season. She still ended up getting to you know twenty points and eleven assists. Um, I think the eleven assists, you know that oversells I think kind of her impact as a passer you know they were obviously the dream were playing a very aggressive defense that left wide open players uh to kind of take advantage of those uh very open opportunities as we saw from Michaela Onionwede's great game yesterday but at just as like a scorer you know Laney has been kind of everything you need from you know a a one or a one a when kind of paired with a Sabrina Ionescu. 62.92 62.92 shooting percentage for Benajelani, 22.3 points a game. So she's doing it on both volume and on efficiency yeah. um, while playing, you know, her tradition or her usually awesome defense. Um, Sabrina Ionescu, I mean, like she's been amazing. She had that big shot in the first game of the season. She's been pretty darn good the rest of the games, except for that last game against Atlanta when she kind of got taken out of the game. Yeah, and one more thing on Laney before we okay. kind of move on to Sabrina. I just wanted to say that, like, when it's not working for the fl- – from the floor, you know, for the first time in her career, really, she's been able to kind of get to the line reliably, you know, six, uh, six free throw attempts per 36 minutes for, you know, a player in her role, I think is, is pretty good. Um, but UNESCO, you know, I, I struggled really to kind of, you know, what, what should have Sabrina looked like yesterday when they were kind of trapping to get the ball out of her hands. I think some quicker decisions, you know, getting the ball out of her hands, faster but that's not going to really result in more points right they really kind of sold out to make sure Sabrina wasn't beating them so what 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 did that adjustment should have looked like I guess well that that's that that's kind of my point though like where's the where's the secondary playmaking coming from I mean you could say Lanny but you know I mean this is it translating to team to team to team success when UNESCO has the ball taken out of her hands yeah, I mean, this team essentially has three players that can both hit a shot and make a good decision after taking a dribble with Howard out, you know, Laney, uh, Sabrina, and Sammy Whitcomb. And, you know, Onion Wede, she she made a good percent of her threes yesterday, um, but the decision-making once she kind of isn't shooting the three or she takes it off the bounce, that can be a little questionable at times, which mm-hmm. is fair. You know, she's a rookie, right? We don't expect her to be a perfect player in year one, you right. know, four or five or six games into her career or whatever. Um, but, you know, the other, the bench players for this team, you know, Jasmine Jones, uh, her, what she's given you so far has been disappointing, you know, 
D.D. Richards is not like an offensive player. Um, so, I mean, I think this team is going to struggle offensively. Okay. All right, moving on to Phoenix. Phoenix, they are 3-3 three and three so far this season. They are sixth in net rating at negative 0.4. They are fifth in offense at 103 and 10th in defense at 103.4. So this is kind of about what we expected, right? Yeah, right. Um, unfortunately, Diana Tarazi injured uh, out at least four weeks with a sternum fracture. Sounds painful. Yeah, that's not good. Um, I think, you know, that's, I mean, is, is DT of their three stars, you know, is, is she the most irreplaceable or, you know, Skylar Diggins-Smith because she's kind of really more of a point guard and has a little bit more youth to her. Uh, I guess, you know, what, what injury of their big three is kind of like the most uh, navigatable, I guess. Mm, I would, I actually might say Skylar Diggins-Smith, but I mean, we saw what they looked like with Brittany Griner without Brittany Griner last year and they, they managed. Yeah, they were great. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and on, on offense, at least, um, you know, the Griner has been really good lately. Um, uh, 27 points each of the last two games, 12 of 16 from the field in both of those games. Uh, something I'm sure you love to see a combined seven offensive rebounds in those two oh, yeah. games and a combined 20 defensive rebounds. So two kind of encouraging defensive elements for a player who has uh, uh, obviously been criticized for that element of her game recently. Uh, what have you thought of Griner's season so far? Um, she's picked it up recently. You know, I think, I think she started kind of slow with particularly on, on, on defense and on the boards, but it, this is what we've seen from Brittany Griner. You know, those, those games, when she's going against Dallas, I mean, Dallas has nobody to guard Brittany Griner. That's that's not going to happen. So, I you know I, again I need to see her do it against Connecticut. Yeah, and she, yeah, and obviously Connecticut that was quite a struggle. And I think you know they kind of have perfect personnel to guard the Griner Turner pairing as we talked yeah. about last week. And yeah, they got the good personnel. But yeah, I, I just need to see her do it more consistently. Basically, she's no doubt. Like, once again, I'm not I'm not no disrespect. She's one of the best players in the league, one of the most talented players in the league. But you know, do it against a team that isn't starting a six, one player center. Yeah. Well, she did put up 27 on 12 for 16 well, against that Vegas is true. as well. That is true. Um, and, you know, obviously she's a force posting up, but I think when she allows herself to kind of diversify her offensive game a little bit, like that's when things kind of really get cooking for Griner, especially against some of the better post up defending centers, you know, Liz Cambage, who might kind of lack the mobility to defend in space a little bit more. She has, 44 points on 49 possessions posting up this year. And by the way, just 49 possessions posting up already this year is insane. Uh -huh. um, but under a point per possession, then she has 25 points on 20 possessions as a cutter and 18 points on 12 possessions as a pick and roll big. So, you know, the efficiency, I guess, so far has been at its lowest, just kind of as a straight back to the basket player. Um, and when she does, you know, when they unlock her in the pick and roll, especially with Skylar Diggins-Smith, you know, that's really a, an element that we would love to see more, I think. Um, but, you know, I think you just kind of have to acquiesce to the style that she wants to play and, and drop it down to her a little bit more. Or maybe it's just a lack of creativity on Brondello's end. I don't know. Could be. Could be. I mean, we, we've seen this for a while now. Uh, but about Skylar Diggins-Smith, she's going to be getting a lot more on her plate with Diana Tarazi out. What have you seen from her thus far, and what do you expect? I mean, she's been pretty good, right? You know, the three-point shooting has carried over uh, so far this year. 36% from behind the arc, uh, her kind of best in the league finishing at the rim from last season, you know, for a player of her volume that has 
as probably could have been predicted, you know, while Brittany Griner kind of reintegrates and playing with Brianna Turner, those two players together, that has not been able to carry over for Skylar Diggins-Smith. She's under 50% shooting from the restricted area and floater range so far. Um, any, I guess, like, what do you think about kind of like that element of her game and, and just this trio of Turner, Griner, and Skylar Diggins-Smith? The element of the game uh, pertaining to her floater? Or just kind of getting to the rim, like getting inside the paint, her, oh, her yeah. non-three-point shooting. No, I mean, she, she's always been really good at getting into the paint, and she's drawing a ton of shooting fouls, which is going to need to continue without Dinah Tarazi to draw a ton of shooting fouls. Um, that part of the game is there. In fact, I think that's the part of the game that's her – that's the part of her game that's the most reliable. It is the three-point shot or the shot that, you know, teams are going to go under the screen versus her that needs to be more – that be, needs to be consistent. She had a great shooting season last season. Um, so with Dinah Tarazi not in the lineup, that's, that's going to need to uh, keep it up. Uh, what is what do we look like for time? Five seconds. Okay. Um, well, I, I did want to ask, like, do you think this team this team can tread enough water without Diana Taurasi? Uh, they their June schedule. I think there was a four week time timetable, so they play the Sky twice, the Wings two more times, in addition to last night. Mm. They play the Liberty once. They play the Sparks for three consecutive games, uh, which is you know silly. <laughs> scheduling is so weird. Uh, and then they play the Lynx at the end of the month. So, I mean, do you think this team will be totally sunk by the time Tarasi comes back? No, I don't. Because that's a pretty promising schedule coming up, don't you think? Yeah, they should. I mean, when you have Griner, you know, a lot of those matchups are uh, looking pretty promising, I think. so. All right. So moving on to Seattle. Seattle, they are 5-1, third in net rating, fourth in offense. Oh, I'm sorry, third in net rating, 5.1 net rating. Fourth in offense, 105.1. Seventh in defense at an even 100. Um, I guess the seventh in defense, is, is that surprising to you, Eric? No. No. They, they lost two of the best defenders in the league in the offseason. Yeah, I guess for me, I thought, you know, when you look at the dream, right, they, are, they were able to so far uh, against, obviously, different teams, um, the sixth in offense with, I think, worse personnel – playing a similarly aggressive style. So I guess my thought was maybe that the, the style and the institutional kind of uh, uh, aggression on defense might be able to carry them a little bit more. And it still might, right? We're, we're six games into the season and right, they exactly. finally found their starting lineup, which their, their new starting lineup, the first starting lineup, I believe, to start two games consecutively for this team with Mercedes Russell and Steph Talbot, that starting lineup has a 78 defensive rating in limited minutes with those five on the floor. Um, but all three lineup combinations, you know, of, of when you have Bird, Lloyd, Talbot, Stewart, whether it's Russell, whether it's Dupree, whether it's Magbagor, all of those lineups have been able to defend, and it's kind of everything else that has really struggled for this team. Okay, why are they 5-1? and one? Why are they still so good? Uh, well, they, I think they've had some, you know, they've closed out some close games, right? You know, the... Um, the game against Connecticut and overtime game, obviously any of those close games can go either way. And essentially anytime Stewart and Lloyd are on the court, this team is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, they have in a 189 minutes with those two together, they have a 111 offensive rating and a 95.7 defensive rating. Um, and those two players, you know, I just mentioned they have 189 minutes together. Those two players are both kind of just barely over 200 minutes. So they're playing a ton of minutes together. Do you like them kind of spending so much time together? Do you think maybe a stagger would be a little bit better for this team's overall balance? 
I mean, obviously, I think when they're both on the court at the same time, that's when the team is at their best. But looking at who is backing up both of those players, I think you do need to consider staggering them a little bit more. Yeah, I think um, I I might just kind of with how this team is built, like you might not be able to get good production with a stagger kind of no matter what the other lineup combinations are. So maybe you are just better off like dominating those minutes. You can play them together and just trying to kind of not get killed when those two aren't on the court together. Yeah. I mean, well, Candice Dupree backing up Brianna Stewart, we have uh, been a little bit critical of her, but I mean, I think it's fair. And who is even backing up Jewel Lloyd right now? Well, I guess it would be Epiphany Prince um, as she has come back from her overseas commitment and, I mean, you know, the the bench options on this team are really not great right now when you consider, you know, Canada's gotten off to a little bit of a slow start and yeah. any any lineups that have Canada and don't have Bird and Lloyd have been a little bit tougher or don't have Lloyd and Stewart have been a little bit tougher. Um, you know, Dupree, uh, I I think, you know, kind of, you know, Kennedy Burke, I think has had a, has been a little bit of a disappointing just in kind of like what she's, wanted herself to do offensively uh you know some of her shots have been a little bit um her shot selection has been a little bit strange and then Azzy Magbiger I think has been more disappointing than you know I think the high Ezzy uh expectations her minutes just fell off a cliff they have fell off a cliff and I I I think it was warranted you know I think she had struggled in, in some of those games Okay. Well, um, the good news is they still have Sue Bird. They still have Brianna Stewart. They still have Jewel Lloyd. Lloyd in particular is playing like the best basketball of her career. Oh yeah. She has been, you know, all league type player this season, uh, 20 points per game, just about, I think it's 19.7 playing a career high in minutes per game so far, but still a career high also in scoring per 36 minutes. She's over 50% on twos as well as a very respectable 37.8% on threes. She's getting, into the restricted area at a career best rate and finishing them at an absurd rate, you know, over 80% in the restricted area so far while still taking 40% of her shots from behind the arc. So, you know, there's still a little bit of kind of uh, the long twos in there, but um, you know, her three point shooting and her getting to the rim have been so good that the, the long twos, even if the percentage is not amazing there, you know, you're still getting some really, really great production, a career low in turnover percentage under 9%. I think is outstanding considering she's also a career high in assist percentage and maybe the best defense of her career so far. Yeah. She's, she's really, uh, I don't want to say proving me right, but when I said she had an extra gear in her, this is pretty much what I was talking about. Yeah. I think she's, uh, you know, without having put too much thought into it, player by player, position by position, you got to think she's a front runner for uh, a first team all league season this year. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Okay. Last team, Washington Mystics. Okay, the Mystics are three and three. They are eighth in net rating at negative 1.7. They are eighth in offense at 99.2, and they are eighth in defense at 100.8. So I think this team, as constructed, is the eighth best team in the league. Well, they're playing up to expectations then. Um, It's kind of just Tina Charles and friends right now, right? Yeah, and I think it's time to acknowledge that Tina Charles is having a good season. Uh, We have been pretty skeptical of, you know, her. A role, I guess, as kind of a a high usage player, something that we didn't think we would see, obviously, with uh, more surrounding talent around her. But obviously, Elena Deladon has yet to play. Maisha Hines Allen missed some time. Um, so, 564 true shooting percentage. She's so far posted a career high in three point attempt rate and true shooting. Um, 
what what is Tina Charles doing well now that she was not doing well those last couple of years in New York? Uh I mean, she's just finishing better at the rim for one. And also uh, the long twos are kind of being moved back there to the three-point line. And that's, that's good. That's encouraging. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to hit 32% from three or 32% on 20 footers, you might as well hit 32% on threes, right? Yeah, exactly. And also I think that the personnel, the surrounding personnel is just a better fit for her offensively, which is, it's kind of interesting because their starting backcourt has started atrociously shooting the basketball, but Ariel Atkins is, one of the best complimentary players I think you could, you could consider for Tina Charles or anybody, but. Yeah. I mean, Atkins, like I think is unquestionably better than anybody she played with in kind of those later New York seasons. Um, and she started slowly as well. Atkins did three, four, 11 behind the arc, her first two games. And since then she has gone uh, 15 for 31 uh, and taking a career high, almost 54% of her shots from three point range. So I think that's, positive you know uh, her getting some more threes while she's on the court um i, I think that correlates in perhaps a, a troubling uh element of, of kind of year over year two-point efficiency decreasing you know i think she's down to 41 percent from two this year as you know her her stature in the league grows and a little bit more of her twos are kind of of the self-creation variety but i mean if you're canning 54 i mean if 54 percent of your shots are coming from three and you're making them at such an insane clip, you're going to be a good offensive player. And obviously yeah. she's, you know, one of the best defensive players in the league as well. Okay. So one thing I want to, I, I want to address here. Um, Daladon, who knows when she's coming back. Emma Mieseman, probably not going to be back until after the Olympics, if at all. Uh, so this is it, you know, cause they got Maisha Hines-Allen back uh, from her overseas commitments. How does Maisha Hines-Allen fit next to Tina Charles? I think this is, you know, we, we just talked about it with the last team, but this is more of an opportunity for a stagger one, you know, Maisha Hines-Allen and Tina Charles, I don't think their games are necessarily super compatible. You know, there's a lot of kind of skill overlap in terms of what they want to do, the areas of the floor they want to play in. Um, but also, I just think Maisha Hines-Allen, you know, she's probably better just going against bench players. You know what I mean? I, It's been kind of a rough start for her, and I don't want to, you know, use that as a referendum of kind of her standing in the league, although uh, I, I will take the time to mention that Alyssa Thomas should have been second team all WNBA last year. Over by Allen, but you know she she's a player who I think you know when you have like let's say like a Leilani Mitchell and a Maisha Hines Allen second unit like that's a team that can really do some damage when you're and kind of take the load off of uh, what Tina Charles is doing you know starters versus starters. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one. Uh, Charles and and Hines Allen. The first thing I thought of when I saw that combo was uh, they're going to be occupying a lot of space on the floor or, or the same space on the floor rather, and that's you know that's that's not ideal. So. I think now that Heinz Allen's back, you're going to see like Plaisance and McCall just fall out of the lineup completely. And that's fine because you're going to be playing your, the better player. And she can feast against those bench lineups with, with her face-up game and her strength and just being able to just destroy any opposing bench bigs. Um, now, here's the other thing. Here's the other question I have. Is Sydney Weiss the answer as the, uh, as the other wing player on this team? I mean, I think she's been a revelation. Like she, is, she didn't play in their first game as she kind of had just gotten traded there. And she's sort of kind of slowly been integrated into kind of what they want to do. But I mean, they, this team desperately needed someone outside of their core five players of, you know, Cloud, Mitchell, who has been, you know, pretty terrible, uh, Atkins, Charles, and Maisha Hines-Allen as, you know, undoubtedly 
belonging in WNBA rotations. You know, Weiss is at least that player and someone who is a complimentary player. She can knock down a shot. She can make an extra pass. She can run a second side pick and roll. She's not going to absolutely kill you on defense. So she, she just gives you one other option that's not Kira Leslie or Stella Johnson or some of these kind of fringe WNBA players. So she's, you know, she's maybe like, the worst player the answer could be, but when you kind of look at what this team already has, I, you know, she fills that need. You know what I mean? I think she's the the typical Mike Tebow type of player. I think he's very happy to have her on the team. Um, but that will do it for us. Uh, we, we got through that in an acceptable amount of time, I would say, or, or kind of five minutes per team, give or take a few seconds. Um, how do you think that went? Was that good? Yeah. I, I had fun that, with that. That was, that was fun. fun. Okay. Um, uh, listeners, let us know if you liked that. Uh, I, I think we had a we had a good time doing that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, give something a little bit different than a game recap. But um, uh, any anything else you wanted to, uh, I guess, plug or talk about, or did have you written any pieces recently that you want to talk about? Um, no, not recently. Although I will have a piece specifically on Benajelani coming out later this week. Um, so look forward to uh, that. I th- yeah, I think a lot of people have been saying, "Well, what about Benajelani?" I know about Benajelani. I'm a Benajelani fan. And this has just been awesome for me, seeing her uh, continue her strong play. So I am really looking forward to getting it out there for you. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple, Google, or Spotify uh, podcast providers. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA, at E for Eric, at Trinkwald for myself. And I think next week we will probably be back for some gamers. Back at it with the gamers. All right, take care, everybody.